My soul thirsts for you. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouth of the liars will be stopped. Thanks, Rob. Welcome to worship this morning. If I have not met you, my name is Dan. I get the privilege to serve as one of the elders, um, pastors here at the village. So it is good to have you here. Um, just to let you know, it is summertime. Uh, I, don't, I think some of us, it was hard to be reminded summer, but then this plus 90 degree weather is doing a good job of uh, letting us know it's summer. Summer is an unusual time in our church just because uh, we've got a good number of people who are traveling or perhaps away if they're a student for the summer. So we gather as one community, which I really like. Honestly, some people ask, are we doing multiple services so we can do more? I'm like, if we could have a bigger building and have everyone at one time, I would gladly do that. Um, but we do what we do, right? So we're here gathered. Um, but summer is also an exciting time, and I, I think we've got the image up here about Vacation Bible School. Um, it's an opportunity for us to reach out into our community, and we've got the first week of August, our summer Bible camp, our Vacation Bible School. We've been going a few years strong here. Um, at this point, I think if, if you're a volunteer, hopefully you know that you are a volunteer and you're getting ready and praying. Um, but what I want to do as a church is really ask you, obviously, to pray for this, because this has been one of the really huge ways that our church is able to love our community, love our neighborhood, love Baltimore, especially Hamden right here. Um, pray, but also we should have cards coming really soon. We've got stuff on social media. Get the word out as much as you can to let people know, especially with children, hey, this is a great opportunity. It's free. That's not indicative of the quality at all. This is about as good as you get. Bring the children. It's a way for us to love. I was just reminded seeing the little ones up here. What's such a formative time in life. Um, and and I, I like to say this for our church when we approach things like this. If you got kids, if you're part of the village, I hope you bring your children. I really do. Um, bring your neighbors. Invite. But honestly, this is not just for you. And you, you got to understand about our church, the way our church uh, thinks and functions about stuff. We're not doing things just for us. Hopefully, we're going to be blessed as well. But what we do also is for those who perhaps are not part of our community. And one of the things I love, I mean, it gets crazy here during VBS week, but I love it because this place gets full. And, and judging from past years, about half of the children are not from our church normally. But they're from the neighborhood, being loved on and served. So let's use this as an opportunity to just get the word out as much as possible. So you'll, you'll be hearing much more about that in these next couple of weeks as we approach uh, first week of August here. Rob read for us as we're continuing this series through the Psalms through the rest of the summer from Psalm 63. And 
Uh, you can turn there if you have, if you want to pick up one of the Bibles in the pews there. It's page 410, and we also have it up on the screen, but it's uh, Psalm 63. And, and when you look at it, and I'm, I'm really glad Rob read the heading there because this psalm, it starts, and it has this heading that says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And when you look throughout at verse 9, he, he speaks of those who seek to destroy my life. So David is a fugitive of some kind. David is on the run. Someone is chasing him. And, and too many of us probably have too much familiarity with being chased, right? But if you've ever been chased or on the run, you got a lot in common with David because that's what he's doing here. And, and the thing about David, he's on the run a lot. And some of us were familiar with, with a lot of that. It happened before when he was still a young dude. And, and before he was king, there was this King Saul who was chasing David and chasing him all over to the point where David was hiding. He, he wrote a lot of his psalms during that time when, when Saul tried to kill him. But verse 11, it shows us that this is actually not that earlier time. This is a later time. This is a later time because verse 11, it, it shows us that he's already the king. David is the king. The king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Because when Saul was chasing David, he wasn't king yet. Now David is king. Why is that important? Um, Some of us, we've got this uh, weird understanding of Christianity that when we follow Jesus and the more advanced our life gets, things will get a lot easier. You You know, I'm miserable right now, but if I just get that really nice job, or if I, if I rise within um, my school, or if I finally finish school, or man, if my, if my kids just stop going crazy and they get older, or if I get a little bit, of more, little bit more in the bank, if I get things a little settled, then life will be good. But what we're reminded here is David's life, he still experiences struggle, even when he's the king. Even when he is the king, he's on the run. And he's a fugitive, even from his own land. And, and this, this, uh, when you read some of the history here, this is when his son, his very own boy, Absalom, rebelled and tried to overthrow the kingdom, overthrow his father's throne. And you read more of the backstory in 2 Samuel 15, 23. We won't turn there, but you see that David fled the city. He crossed this river, Brook Kidron, and he went into the wilderness. And, and most likely, that's the experience that's driving why he's writing this psalm we read here today. And he starts out by saying, oh, God, you are my God. And these words, they, they carry a lot of meaning. They're important because they make plain this really important fact that David's hunger for God here as he's crying out for God. Um, this is not the seeking of a man who was unfamiliar to God. David here is not a stranger to God. And some of us, we might not know God well, but when stuff happens, we're like crying out, we're like, ah, God, anyone, I need help. That's not David. David knows God, God knows him, and he's crying out in the context of relationship. So when he says here, oh God, you are my God, this is the affirmation that there's a deep relationship between David and God, and David's crying out like this because he's calling out on the promises of God. When David says, oh, God, you are my God, he's claiming the promises of this God who's a rock when life is quicksand. When life just seems to be, like, going all over the place, he's claiming the promises of this God that says, I'm here. I'm steady. I'm good. And and I think it's a good reminder for you and I. We live in a culture where we've got to be careful. And I'm I'm not anti-feeling. 
Um, I, I like feelings. I think sometimes feelings are really a helpful way for us to be able to gauge where we're at. Feelings can often be a way to see what's driving our heart motives. Feelings can be beneficial, but I think we've got to be careful that we don't always gauge our relation with God based on how we're feeling about it. Because I'm going to guess some of you woke up this morning and the first thought wasn't, man, I am so hyped to go to Village Church today to worship God. Every fiber of my being says this God is true and I need to go sing his praises. Even if I don't understand all the big fancy words, I need to do this. Um, some of us wake up in the morning, is there a God today? <laughs> oh man, last night was a wreck. <laughs> There's no way that this God would want me to come into his presence. When life is falling apart, sometimes the biggest temptation to say there is no God. Are you kidding me? What kind of good God would let a universe like this happen? What kind of good God lets Nice happen and Turkey happen? And, and as we pray for those things, what kind of God allows the tragedy I'm going through to happen? What kind of God allows the depression I'm experiencing right now to happen? What kind of God allows me, though I want God so much, going through just the struggles with my addictions? And, and we have to be reminded of the promises of God that says God is faithful, he's just, he's good, even when we are not. Amen? God is there. God is available. God wants us. And the rest of this psalm, it's built upon that deep foundation of relationship with God. And it's what changes as we're following. It's going to be what changes our heart from I have to do whatever, blank, 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 to I get to. I get to be in the presence of God. I get to live for him and serve him. I get to do all the, and it changes our posture. And once we get this relationship down, what we see in this psalm is that God, he's delighted in, and and we see two different ways. And we see from there two different expressions of worship. Verses one through four that we read earlier, it describes delighting in God through our thirsting. That we delight in God when we're thirsty. And then verses five to eight, uh, verses five to nine, actually, it describes that we delight in God through our feasting. So you see these two almost polar opposites in one life situation of thirsting, but then in another life situation of feasting. In, in other words, verses one and four, one through four are saying, when it's not easy to see and feel God, and I know y'all holier than I am, so you experience God all the time. Um, I, there are times when it's really difficult for me to see and experience God, no matter how hard I pray, no matter how much Bible I read. There's that time. But then there's also those times when you see, man, it feels like everything I see, I see God. What this is saying in in the times of lacking, as well as the times of plenty, in the times of struggle, as well as in the times of jubilee and bliss, um, David will worship God. David will feast on God. His hunger will be uh, satisfied in God. And, and I hope this is a help to some of us here. Again, maybe you are on that like high roller coaster part where nothing can get better in life. But I know some of us, we wake up in wilderness every day, right? Some of it feels like, man, I've, I've been like camping long term in this wilderness. This is hard. And you cry out for God, even if you don't have a voice left to do it. And hopefully you can find great encouragement to help that when you wake up in the morning in that wilderness... That you know God is not absent from you, even if you might not be feeling like you hear or touch him. And guys, why, why we're looking at this, why, why we're pressing it kind of hard, this few, first few verses here, I think it helps us to understand the deeper heart of worship. 
And when we say worship, we're not just talking a nice singing stuff, which I love, but this life of honoring God. And one of my old pastors, he used to ask us, he was a lot smarter than I am. So he would ask us these questions when we were, when I was a young guy in seminary, he said, Dan, what is your ultimate motivation in worship? And I'm like, um, let me, let me, let me think a little bit. Come on. I got to give it gratitude. Thanksgiving, you know, we praise and we come to sing and we come to serve because we're so thankful. He's like, that's nice, but that's probably not right. I'm like, no, come on. And I'm like searching through Bible, trying to find different examples of gratitude. And gratitude is definitely part of it. Part of our coming to God is we're driven by, wow, I'm so thankful for all he's given me. But the point was, um, if we're just thankful to God for the gifts that he gives us, and that's why we worship, Ultimately, that's not the substance of sustaining long-term worship. If it's, if it's primarily driven by, man, I'm so thankful for all the ways God's blessed me. Wow, I, he's given me health and, and family and, and a job and a, and a home. And, and all. wow, I'm really thankful. Um, we can thank God often and not even sometimes truly even love God. We can be thankful that someone's providing these things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we love God. And what I'm going to suggest, if we're not delighting in God primarily because of the truth of who he is, um, he's not fully being worshipped. I say all that to say, um, I think sometimes that's why God gives us the experience of the wilderness. I think that's why sometimes God lets us go through these hard times. Sometimes we go through these, and I'll give an example. Um, a few years ago, some of you football fans, you know, if you're in Baltimore, Ravens won the Super Bowl. Man, I can't remember like a greater time in our city. Uh, people, I mean, it seems like Pokemon's uniting people, but man, the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. Whoa, there was like no unite, greater uniting factor in the city. People were like hugging like their brothers and high-fiving each other. Uh, people taking off work, and hopefully they got like permission to do it, but they taking off work to go to parades. And, and I was so excited myself, not excited enough to go to a parade, but I was excited and happy. Um, I contrast that and, and ask myself, I don't remember if I thought about God once during that whole Super Bowl run. <laughs> I'm just being pure, like, pagan honest right now. Um, they're driving for the last drive. Harbaugh brother crushing Harbaugh brother and Ravens winning. I got to be honest. I wasn't, like, looking at TV saying, praise the Lord, God Almighty, who allowed the city of Baltimore to achieve righteousness and our team to stop the evil of San Francisco. You truly are a God of justice. I, I, I don't think I was thinking that. I was thinking, yeah, Ravens won. This is so fun. This is great. Um, I contrast that with probably one of the more harder times in my life. A few months back when we discovered that my father had pretty deep cancer in his body. Probably one of the worst times I've been experiencing. And I, I wouldn't say I like the experience. It stinks. But what I will say is I was thinking of God a whole lot during that time. <laughs> Man, that drives me to my knees. That's something that no matter how much education I got, no matter how hard I try, it's something I feel kind of helpless with. And it allows me to get on my face before God, say, God, I I need you. 
I, I don't know if that your answers are going to help, but I need you. I, I, I need to see you. If you're not going to do something here, I'm pretty helpless here. Um, point being, some of us can praise God and worship him when things are great. But most of us, I would suggest, it's difficult to do that. But when times are hard, when we go through those wilderness, God brings us to a point like David to cry out, Oh, God, my God, I need you. I need you. And the wilderness is, is God, often God's way of weaning us from those things that we have put our ultimate trust in. And I want to be careful here. I want to really be careful here because I think if we misunderstand that, it can sound like, you know what? God is really petty. He's small hearted. So he doesn't want you to enjoy anything if it's not like with a Jesus at the end of it. So he's going to just rip things away from you. And he doesn't want you to enjoy anything in this world. If you're not singing like amazing grace while you're doing it, he hates football. If you're not singing like, uh, my Jesus, I know. I mean, yeah. it, and, and I think we've got to be careful that, that what we're saying here, um, it's not that God allows us to go through these things out of hate for us. Rather, it's for our joy. It's for our joy because God knows that true joy comes from those who experience that his love is better and deeper and wider than anything this world can provide. Even really good stuff. And that those who experience his presence in deep and full ways learn this lesson that even the good things of God, God has made and given, they're not to be worshipped. Rather, they're to be enjoyed for God's glory. And that we want to sit in God's presence. We want to experience him. And I want want to give a point of clarification about that because we often hear prayers, and I probably even said that myself, prayers like, God, let your presence be here. God, come meet us in this place. I know I've prayed that before even worship. God, come meet us in this place. And I think that's a good prayer. Um, I will suggest humbly, that's probably a better prayer than God. Uh, I got some business to take care of. So if you could just give me like an hour away from you, that'd be great right now. Um, better to ask for his presence to be here. But um, what I want to suggest is that maybe a more accurate understanding is to believe that God's presence is already here. Amen. That God's presence is already here. But it's our senses which need to be made alive to God's presence. It's not that God needs to be like um, conjured up in some way. It's not that we need some holy man to say some magical incantation, do some Harry Potter kind of stuff, and that God will appear and say, okay, here I am, guys. You hit the right words. Rather, God is present. God is wanting. God is desiring us. God loves when we bow and worship before him. God loves when you, maybe you feel stupid singing these songs. Sometimes you're like, man, people listening to me, I'm a little tone deaf. I don't go to, you know, God loves it. God loves when we're gathered here. So it's not that God needs to be woken up, but sometimes you and I, our senses need to be woken up to the reality of his presence. Because God has promised he's already with us. It's called the incarnation. It's called Jesus coming to this world. It's called the Holy Spirit indwelling. If you are a follower of Jesus within your soul, the Holy Spirit is there. So when we seek him in prayer and fasting, for instance, you know, if we just talk about a couple of like prayer, fasting, we're not trying to manipulate God to show up. We're not saying, come on, guys, let's pray harder. Let's fast longer so that God will somehow meet us here. Instead, what we affirm from the word is that God is already here. And and what we want to do is anything that we can to put ourselves in a position where we can experience God. 
that we believe God is available. He's here. And we want to put ourselves in any position. We want to do whatever we can so that we can be in a place where we can experience his presence. It's recognizing that ultimately our deeper, our deepest problems are not our suffering, are not our trials. They're not our lack of something. But our deepest problem is trying to live a life without God. Ultimately, our deepest problem is trying to live a life without God. And David, he makes this plain by the way he expresses his longing. When you look at verse 1 again, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. This is not David saying primarily, God, I love the things you give me. Please keep blessing me more. I'll give a seed in and you'll give me a house, right? God, I love the blessings you give me. He's desperate for God himself. He's saying, I want you, God. All this other stuff's fine. I want you. And he makes it even more explicit in verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This means that David even wanted God more than life itself. And I want to welcome you to just stop and sit on that for a second here. How do you feel as you hear that? Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That God wanted, or David wanted God even more than life itself. How do you feel as you process that? Does that reflect your heart at all? And and this is not a guilt thing, right? We're we're just not really into that at our church, uh, willingly at least. Um, We're not into, come on, man, look at how little you desire God. Buck it up, man. Apostle Paul, I'm sure he didn't take a break to go play uh, video games. No, no, I'm not saying that. But I think it's helpful and it can be a revealer for the condition of our soul. As we ask ourselves, how much do I hunger for God? How much does my soul long for him in in the ways described here? And um, if you're newer to our church, you're just going to get half the used to hearing some stories that make me look like a dummy. But it's okay because God's grace is sufficient. Um, I remember one time I was at home and um, my wife was out doing, doing some stuff and I was just so hungry and I was really hungry. I mean, I'm hungry a lot, but I was like really hungry and I knew, okay, you know, dinner time's coming, but I'm so hungry and I was like scrounging around the house for whatever, if I can find, I'm finding stale chips, like nasty old stale chips, like crumbs, like stuff that should be moved for like toppings. I'm eating that and like making like congealed kind of stuff. I'm finding like even old vegetables in, in the fridge, like old carrot sticks that don't look like carrot sticks anymore. They look more like Cheetos. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like eating the nasty stuff in our house because I was just so hungry and I got full. And then my wife comes home and because my wife is an amazing woman, she comes home and surprises me. She's like, oh, I brought you a hoagie. Like from a really good, uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm from Philly, so that's a, some of you call it a sub. Um, some of you even call it a hero, I guess, but um, it's a hoagie. Anyway, uh, she knows I love hoagies, so she brought home this giant hoagie, so good. And I didn't want to look like a dummy, so I was like, thank you. And I ate it, and I'm joyful looking. I, you know, I still enjoyed it. I could always make room. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm eating this thing. I love hoagies. <laughs> I love sandwiches, but I got to tell you, because I was so full off that other junk, I couldn't enjoy that thing a bit. I had to look like I did because I felt like a dummy, but I was so full on this other stuff that I wasn't able to fully enjoy what I should have, the good gifts that my beautiful wife wanted to give to me. And, And it's a really silly example, 
But what I'm trying to get to is all of us, I think one of the common conditions of our human hearts is apart from God, uh, we try to seek things that will fulfill us. We're, and every one of us, we got different items. So this is not to get judgmental and look at each other and say, man, how dare you fill yourself on that one? You got, we all do it. We all got our choice of, we would call it idols. Um, Pascal, he has that really well-known quote. Most of us know it here, right? There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. So we've got this space in us that's made for God. We were made to worship God And yet we look to all of these other things to take the place of God. So what that means is to want God more than you want life itself, it it means even with all the joys in life, all the family, all the health, all of the food, friendships, romance, intimacy, job satisfaction, productivity, books, Netflix, your apples, your Samsungs, your, your, um, your homes, your sunsets, your beaches, even your Pokemons, all this good stuff. When David says that the love of God is better than life and therefore better than all the beauty that life means, he's not, he's not denying that all good things come from God. He's warning us not to let our hearts settle for these things. Don't let your heart settle for these things. They're not all bad, but they're not God. Because you and I, we were created to be worshipers of God. And and if we settle less than worshiping God, we will always feel a lack of joy. We will always feel a lack of um, who we were created to be. John Piper, he's got this really well-known quote. It's one of my favorite ones. I, I probably read it here before, but he says, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of the earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. What he's simply saying, it's not the really bad stuff that often gets us off our worship of God. Sometimes it's the okay stuff that we somehow let replace God in our heart's affection. And maybe what I'm saying here is that if we were to experience God in deeper ways, I really think that we would be astounded at how readily we let other things take the place of God for a small little hit of something. Because there's nothing like dwelling in the presence of God on a regular basis. Um, Knowing that it's good to be led by him more than anything else. A God who is full of loving grace and mercy and and he's present as much in times of wilderness as he is in times of joy and bliss. And and I want to know God that way. I I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I want to hunger for God that way. And the reason why I say that is I don't think I do all the time. I get well satiated on the things of this world. I want to know God in that way. And I want you to know God in that way as well. 
So like I said earlier, we're not trying to manipulate God so he'll show up. We're not trying to throw out some fancy things that will make God somehow reveal himself more. But rather, if we believe that he's present, if we believe that God is wanting to be known, what will we do so that we can be attuned to his presence? If we believe God is there and God wants to be known, God wants to be worshipped, God wants to speak into our lives, what will we do so that we can be attuned to his presence? And uh, I think we've got a simple slide up here. This is realistically just something in the past few days I've been, well, actually past couple weeks, I've been convicted of, um, especially for the end of the summer, we're going to just gather to pray on Monday evenings, and, and we see it up here. Um, at 7 p.m., we'll just meet downstairs. We're going to meet quick, short. Um, I know some people are into long quantities. I believe God's smart enough. He doesn't need to hear for us hours and hours. The one hour, we'll just gather together and gather together to pray. And I want to invite you guys to come out to this. If you feel led in your heart, maybe there's an inkling in your heart that says, you know what, uh, Pastor, I want to hunger for God too. I want to know God too. I want to be with others. I think there's something valuable about um, being in a place where other people are talking to God as if he's real. I know that sounds kind of crazy to think about, but like actually talking to God like we believe he's real. And, and sometimes, I don't know if you feel um, stupid when you think that. You're like, man, when I'm praying out loud, I feel like a real dummy because I don't know if I got this faith. But when you were with other people who are doing it, you're like, oh, okay, I'm not the only loon here. <laughs> it's called faith. We pray together. But be in a place where I, I, I believe God is raising up his church to pray for our city. You know, we want to be a people who are active in Baltimore, love Baltimore, seek reconciliation, seek healing. But the reality is we got a people who got to realize we're spiritual people. That ultimately means if God's not moving, we can kill ourselves in trying to do as much as we can. But we need to see God in his face, praying for our city, praying for our nation, praying for our world, praying for our church. But guys, as we do that, also praying that God allows us to see his face and experience his presence. And so I want to, I want to just, this is not a fancy program, but come out if you feel like you want to join in that. And we're just going to gather together Monday night, seven o'clock short time and pray together again, not as a magic fix, but to say we need God probably much more than we're looking to him right now. So as we worship God in a bit with communion and singing, let's come home on this. Uh, Verse 2, it shows us the function of temple worship for David when he was in the wilderness. It shows us why temple worship was important. Verse 2 says, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. What does this mean? It means that when David was out in the wilderness and when he didn't have the temple, when he didn't have a fancy church, when he didn't have all the fancy sacrifices, when he was cut off from worshiping in the community at the temple, it was the memory of his experiences there that brought God, that brought God home to him in clarity. That even though he wasn't able to do it in the present time in the wilderness, his times worshiping God in the temple, savoring God, fixing his eyes on him, it was what allowed him when he was in his wilderness to continue to worship God, to continue to lift his eyes up to God. And it allowed him to feast even when this feasting was done in the wilderness. 
And guys, that's, it's a great reminder of why we do what we do here. And I know for some of you, you're, you're just good church folk. You're like, what else do I do on Sunday mornings? That's when I go to church. Praise God. Keep coming. But um, if you're like me, we're asking, so why do we do all this again? Why do we come here gathered together? Is it just habit? Is it just ritual? Um, maybe. But I'm going to suggest when we gather corporately for worship, there's great power here as well. That we look upon God. We behold his glory. We behold his power through singing, through communion, through the Bible, through preaching, through one another. We continually just fix our eyes on God. We see him. We see him and we see his full glory to the point that he wrecks us for anything else. That, that we, we get in such a worship of God, and I'm not saying an emotional experience, but we get such a reality of God, we get our lives in the light of him, that it takes everything else in our life that we are prone to bow down to and put it in proper perspective and say, serious, you're going to give yourself to that when you get to worship him? And, and, and it exalts God. And, and we're sent from here, even when we're not sitting in this room on Sunday mornings, and we still worship God because we've beheld him in his glory and in his power. And that's what delights us. That's what brings us joy. That's what transforms us. So if you struggle with addictions, ultimately, I believe, yeah, go to, go to these different helps. But if you struggle with addictions of any kind, ultimately your first step, you've got to see a God who's much, much more worth worshiping than the things you're bowing down to. If you struggle with anger, you've got to see a God who is a God who loves and forgives even his enemies. If you are struggling with race relations in our country right now, you lift your eyes and you see this God who unites people, even people who are very different and makes them family through the sacrificial death of this Jesus who pours out his blood for all peoples. If your marriage is feeling like it's teetering on the edge, you see a God who is even that big that it seems like he can do a miraculous work in your relationship. If you're struggling with loss, you lift your eyes and you see a God who is not unfamiliar with loss. As we remember the crucifixion. Seeing God, delighting in God, that's what transforms us. That's what ruins us for anything else. And I'm saying not these things are bad, but it puts it in proper perspective saying, seriously, when I get God, I'm going to give myself to this instead and brings us to worship.